Warning, this show contains adult themes and language, including solidarity and other adult emotions. This evidentia is an inability to reliably process evidence, and this is a podcast all about it. This episode was released on December 20th, 2021. And we are discussing disevidentia because it is clear millions of billionaire sympathizers are suffering from it. I am Mako. And I am Squeaky. We discuss logic and evidence because math dictates that not everybody can be in the top 1%. You can support us by becoming a patron at patreon.com slash If billionaires are denying you a living wage, you can still like, subscribe, and leave a review to help us out. If you have a paper you have written or a small business to plug, let us know. Today we are going to discuss labor relations with Kellogg's, Amazon, Major League Baseball, and Starbucks. Then COVID for hopefully just a minute. You can support us by being rigidly vertical while we are on the second story. <laughs> Under some circumstances, absolutely. I imagine somewhere out there a cheerleader is listening to this and they're like, fuck yeah. <laughs> what is this? It's the most wholesome punchline we've ever had in this show. What the fuck is this? How are you doing? Are you ready for this discussion on labor? As ready as I'm going to be. You're never ready. No. Oh. You ain't ready-ish. That's absolutely fucking wrong, actually. You're always more ready than I am. Just, I'm never as ready as I want to be. Oh, yeah, I show up unprepared and I'm as ready as I want to be. That's actually explains it quite a bit. <laughs> no. I figured we could take some time during this part where we normally put out corrections and discuss a, a through line that connects disevidentia to the idea of labor rights. Yeah. More than just like, oh, hey, some people are saying some things that are wrong. Oh, I guess that's actually kind of core to disevidentia. Yeah, if some people are saying some things that are wrong, even though they think they're true and there's evidence countering them. Well, I mean, okay, there's a counterpoint can be made for opinions, but a lot of the things in these topics are not presented as opinions. Oh, yeah. It's super hard to get like a good argument whether chocolate or vanilla ice cream is better, but like that's not disevidentia. If someone says chocolate ice cream will kill you and then we present evidence that it won't, that's disevidentia. Yeah. That's also vaccine denial. It's literally, oh my God. Well, I mean, someone would come along and be like, well, look at these people that had an anaphylactic shock in response to eating chocolate and like, okay, that's weird. How many people have this? Uh, so to labor, we're going to talk about some people who made money, a lot of money. <laughs> and I'm of the opinion that us not being billionaires should... Uh, be billionaires? If we could be billionaires, that'd be nice. <laughs> but we should probably have solidarity with people working as the labor side of these disputes, even when they're making a ridiculous amount of money, like Major League Baseball players that we'll bring up later. Because yeah. they're still taking money from billionaires. They're still working. And a lot of them actually don't wind up doing very good later on in life. Yeah, they work themselves, in some cases, literally to the bone in order to entertain people in the fashion that they do. Yeah. But even more than just the notion of solidarity, a lot of the the rich people in this, so the owners of baseball teams, the factory owners, the shareholders of companies, they put out intentional misinformation. And people often believe it. Like yeah. with Kellogg's, the Kellogg's people were saying, yeah, some of these workers are making $100,000 a year. $35 an hour, you know, different numbers in different ways are often presented. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're making $12 an hour and you, you hear that somebody else is making 35 and they're on strike, you can get salty and bitter pretty quick. But 
we should be paying attention to the fact that the Kellogg executives make between 5 and $15 million a year. See show 19 for the source on that. Well, more than that, like when people condense it down to a single soundbite, they tend to miss all the nuance and, and the details that, that actually paint a very important picture. Like, yeah, sure, a lot of these people are making $35 an hour, but not all of them. And that's part of the problem for the Kellogg strike. But on top of that, they are working, in some cases, 80-hour work weeks, and the divorce rate is super high as a result of this. It's fucked. Like, it's deeply, deeply fucked. These are not conditions you want to be earning that kind of money in. Or when we learn that that's not their primary grievance. They're striking to get rid of that two-tier system because the ones that are, that are making $35 an hour or 100000 a year or whatever, they're striking to get the same pay scale put in place for the people who are making $14 an hour doing the same job. Yeah. Ugh. Anyway, I guess we'll dig deeper into that. For corrections, did we have any? Not that I can think of. Yeah, nobody notified us. Maybe we should start offering people like flash drives or something if they... So we still have a few of those this 7-inch of flash drives. If they find a correction in our... Maybe. I mean, some of those are still reserved for future giveaways. But I think we have a few spares. Okay. So we're just going to make this offer without planning it? If people... Uh, well, if... Maybe. Let's, let's not be too explicit here. We're, we're There's a lot of fuzziness to what we have planned in the future still. Okay. So we'll announce a giveaway of some kind next episode. Oh, bold. Bold? Bold. A bold would be saying we'll give away a flamethrower right now, I think. That would definitely be more bold, without a doubt. <laughs> okay. There are lots of ways to get in contact with us to let us know if you have a correction for us, or if you want to support us. So we're open to messages or money on Patreon, patreon.com slash disevidentia. We have a subreddit, r slash disevidentia. You can tweet at us at disevidentia. We have a YouTube and a Discord. Links for both are in the show notes. And you can email us, contact at disevidentia.com. Okay. Oh, and one listener of the show reached out, and they wanted to offer a shout-out on their YouTube and to the people that are, are listening to them. A person named Hypnotic. They're, make, they're making Call of Duty montage videos where they do cool tricks and things in the game and put some uh, some cool music to it. But I just wanted to give them a shout-out because they're a listener of the show and they like it a lot and reached out to us. Okay. All right. So, hope everyone else en enjoys the discussion on labor. You would be if I squeezed the volume out of you. Yeah. I'll use a vice. Squeak. That's me. You don't get to do that. <laughs> so about a month ago, we went out to speak with a bunch of the people on strike over at the Kellogg's plant. Yep. We did a fair bit of research into the rest of the uh, striketober stuff that was going on. And we have some new news about that strike's progression. Some of this news is sad and some of it's just goofy as fuck. Yeah, there's, uh, at least not yet, there's not a happy ending to it. Yeah, several sources, and we grabbed Market Watch for one of them. They're claiming that Kellogg's is just going to try to permanently replace all 1,400 of the striking workers. They had six back and forths where one side would propose a contract they thought the other would agree to, and the other side hasn't agreed to any of them. So in the most recent one, the workers asked for a 3% cost of living raise that they haven't gotten since their last contract and uh, the getting rid of the, the two-tier system, and Kellogg's denied that. Kellogg's just announced one day, and their stock went up when they said it, that they're just going to get rid of the workers and replace them all. The <sighs> stock market has some really weird attitudes. It's rich people's emotions. 
<laughs> that's not entirely accurate. No. But it's a component. It's rich people's speculations. They like to see things being stable. They don't like seeing things being unstable. They see strikes as unstable. And Kellogg's plan to replace the workers is seen as an end to the strike and a return to stability. If I had to guess, is almost certainly the thought process. That is certainly a coherent model of the stock market. I actually think you're giving it too much credit as a predictive entity. <laughs> but... As far as picking one specific actor in the stock market who would have made these decisions, yeah, I would agree with what you said. To complicate this, immediately, Kellogg's opened up four different web pages for hiring people. And we'll have links to these so you can participate if you want. But don't say no just yet. <laughs> I don't think anyone really wants to cross the picket line and stab these hard workers in the back. Our anti-work a subreddit dedicated to dealing with the systemic problems in uh, the American and Western workforce. I don't want to say organized. That gives them too much credit. Mm -hmm. But they collaborated and somebody made a call to start filling out all of these applications with gibberish to the point where their system stopped being able to handle it. Oh, fun. We have a pro-labor website, labor411.org, and they've got some reports of it going down and some outside viewpoints. They're still pretty biased, but in this case, I have reason to believe they're accurate, about people automating, filling out the form with gibberish, and in general, getting a huge and popular discussion going about what they can do about it. And you can go in and read that people were at least claiming to write scripts and submit things and how to deal with the captchas or lack of captchas and by every account they're just bombarding these people with bullshit and it's kind of amazing it's uh probably more than it really should it fills me with joy to see real world examples of people being chaotic good <laughs> uh we're gonna have to explain the DD alignment chart sometime yeah I don't think we need to go there now, do you? No. Okay, people will yell at, you'll yell at us if they are unfamiliar with the chaotic, lawful, neutral, good, neutral, evil thing. I think it's permeated culture from our listeners, I think. Yeah, I think most of the listeners will know. Okay, if you don't, yell at us. We'll figure it out. So continuing this disorganized labor trend, one of the people went so far as to, uh, beyond automating, went so far when organizing to gather up lists of the email addresses for Kellogg's where you can apply should the online form be down. And here's a quote. He says, if you have any questions about the application, such as, has being pro-union busting served you better than being an anti-nut <laughs> Would you like me to read this? Go for it. Okay. It's so stupid. So this is a quote from Poster on... On our anti-work. Yep. Okay. And so they say, quote, if you have any questions about the application, such as, has being pro-union busting served you better than being anti-nut busting? Or you could say, quote, I'm having a hard time completing the application process. What do you mean by employee must be willing to and able to chortle the balls of executive management? <laughs> End quote. All this and more can be answered at usa.recruitment at calog.com. That's USA. Hang on. Is there a dot there? Yeah, it looks like a okay. dot to me. So it's just remember that email address is usa.recruitment at kellogg.com. Definitely don't spam them with ridiculous questions about chortling balls of the executives because mm. that's a mandatory job skill. And being anti nut busting. Yeah, I'm honestly, <laughs> I'm honestly, 
I'm a little bit confused. It is so are they when they say not busting, like they might mean the violent act, which is clearly bad, or they might mean the pleasurable act, which is clearly good. And I'm unsure as to what they're referencing. I think we just need to use context clues here. Do you think the uh, people with solidarity with the strikers? Do you think they're doing some consensual S and M stuff with executives over at Kellogg's? Consensual? No. Uh, then I would lean against the sexual nut busting. <laughs> Uh, sorry, other hype, other hypothesized forms of attack against Kellogg's systems yes. that our anti-work was uh, proposing were zip bombs and general denial of service attacks. Mm-hmm. For people not super familiar with computers, a denial of service attack is anything that consumes so many resources on someone else's computer, it's not available for normal service. Specifically, a distributed denial of service attack is when a lot of computers all try to access one computer, and because that one computer only has a connection that is so fast to the internet, you can fill up that computer's whole bandwidth, making it unavailable. So, if several people run these scripts, and we're not advocating that, that actually is a crime, unauthorized use of other people's computers is hacking and... Lots of police forces don't like that. If enough people are doing that, there doesn't have to be any specific flaw. There doesn't, doesn't have to be any special way in. It's just these computers are all trying to access it so much, and each access takes up so many bytes worth of bandwidth, and the system only has so many bytes worth of bandwidth, when you're using more than it has, it's not available to the rest of the world anymore. So that takes it offline. A zip bomb is a little bit more complex. Are you familiar with these, Mako? Yeah. Do you want to go? Zip bomb is... So when you go to decompress something, usually when you decompress it, there's some reasonable ratio. When you're trying to compress movies, they're not all that compressible. So if you do compress it, when you go to decompress it, it's only slightly larger. Yeah. So if you have like a one gigabyte zip file, you might get a 1.1 gigabyte video file. You no, know, the margin uh, is even smaller than that. But yeah, 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 along those lines. Yeah. I'm just I'm keeping it simple for the. But like text files, depending on what text is inside it, you may be able to compress it a whole lot more. But zip bombs try to exploit this ratio to the maximum ability and they they put in a pattern that is maximally compressible so that when you go to decompress it it's just this giant thing so they might upload a resume.zip along with a plausible looking application and it looks like it's a few like maybe a kilobyte if that if it's like i don't know a word document or something well uh it's entirely reasonable to to upload a couple megabytes to these things because they expect pictures and like oh okay quality resumes yeah and like other graphics stuff then yeah yeah you can easily shoot it up to a couple megabytes like you said yeah but then when you go to unzip it it becomes terabytes which is not expected and this again denies people service if that computer was expecting to have disk space for stuff like other resumes now some sysadmin has to go in and clean that shit out and it doesn't do anything specifically harmful other than take up space yeah and disrupts the computer like i said that in any way where it needs the space and we're not advocating people do this we are describing this because we both come from strong computer backgrounds and we found this to be hilarious yeah should i segue into the more serious points here sure according to our cbs news source they got uh, in touch with a, a rutgers professor a, a todd vachoni or vachone i'm not sure but he teaches labor relations and he had a very simple quote when they asked and he just said that of course they didn't write down the exact quote but he just said that replacing 1400 workers in the current climate would be extremely difficult that's before having all of this other nonsense going on yeah so like a lot of these people do try to describe these workers as being unskilled and technically unskilled if, if by unskilled you mean you don't need a college degree okay sure that kind of works but these people do have 
like decades of experience sometimes yeah like they understand the machinery and like this is big dangerous machinery yeah they were talking about millions of pounds of grains per month right these four plants provide all of the frosted flakes for the whole country well they were also talking about people coming in for the first time and sometimes getting injured oh yeah so like when and that's when you have somebody who might be a little bit careless but like if they stop take the time and like they ask the people who are experienced they can avoid those issues if you get rid of all the experienced people People aren't going to know what's actually dangerous, what's efficient, what corners yeah. can be cut. You're going to get a lot more like injured workers. You're going to have a lot more like medical lawsuits. You're going to have a higher turnover rate. It's not going to work. And then you have the labor shortage on top of all of this. And Kellogg's could, in theory, make this route work, but it's so expensive. Or they could pay people a living wage. And that's yeah. why we're all advocating for the living wage side of this. Like in every way, for every party, it is better for them to pay the living wage. I think so, except for the millionaires who are deciding to keep the money for themselves. Hmm. Gotta wonder how long the situation can last. Because in addition to this strike and this presumable minimal output of these uh, plants, there's uh, lots of people on the outside calling for boycotts. Yeah. I don't know where the union stands on that, if they're calling for a boycott, because that can be pretty extreme. I don't think they were when we spoke to them, but they might be now. I don't know. Do you have anything else on Kellogg's? Fuck them. <laughs> okay. Hey Mako, why are you cringing? What are you doing? Are you going to break my PC again? Yeah, but I think we should skip the pretense. What do you mean? All of our listeners already know that we're going to break a computer and suggest they buy a new one from ABK Customs. So you were just skipping right to it and pulling out some cartoonish red button? Yeah, come to the window. On the hill across the street, is that blue light? Yeah, RGB lights from a computer. Now what? Push the button to destroy it. And then we can tell our listeners about ABK Customs. Yeah, that's ABKKUSTOMZ.com. Anyway, here, you do the honors. Are explosions supposed to be bright followed by pitch black? No, I can't see either. Thank goodness we can still tell people to use code EVIDENCE. Yeah, use code EVIDENCE at ABK Customs to save 10% off a new custom computer. They are professional and helpful, so won't judge after you deliberately destroyed your previous computer. So, on to the cheeriest part of our show, the COVID Minute. Wait. I would imagine there are some topics that, you know, maybe the COVID Minute would be cheerier. Is people being systematically denied living wages more or less cheery than, oh, for example, 1% of all of our people over the age of 65 having already died from COVID? I feel like there are arguments that can be made on either side of that, and I'm pretty sure exactly none of them are arguments I'd like to make right now. <laughs> Our source for that one is uh, Yahoo News, who's citing the CDC, but really everything is there in the headlines. It's already the amount of people who've died amount to one in 100 of every American over the age of 65. Yeah. If you look at the numbers for people under the age of 65, it's closer to only one in uh, 1,400. That's still preposterously high. Spread across three over 300 million in the United States. Yeah, that's a lot of people yeah so our total death numbers passed 800,000 since our last episode we're still getting about 1300 a day <sighs> so let's just try to get through these numbers and move on to less disgusting things but as a general forecast we're ah, when i say we i mean the united states 
we're trending up or kind of holding steady at a relative peak where I just said we are. Mm-hmm. Um, we're getting uh, about 121,000 cases a day and about 1,300 deaths a day. Other places aren't doing so bad. Some places are looking kind of steady. Europe is kind of a mixed bag. Uh, a bunch of the different countries are up or down. Like the UK is up to 51,000 cases a day, uh, which is uh, around 200 deaths per day, fewer than 200 deaths per day. Russia is down in cases, but they still have a lot of deaths at 1,100 a day. Germany is down to 48,000 cases a day, but their death count has gone up to 300-something. So just for comparison, where we are at different places in the world, it's still in the you know single-digit percent range of death and still many thousands of cases. So Russia is either very terrible at treating COVID or they have a lot of risk factors. I suspect there's both chronic misreporting. A lot of authoritarian regimes have a problem with that, but it's hard to misreport on death. And your family member died. So you suspect their case count is much higher? I suspect. I don't have strong evidence to confirm that, but I suspect. But it does follow, given all the other things we know about Russia. Yeah. Their, Russia has gotten better about putting numbers out because they were accused of wildly misreporting months ago. And that's gotten better. I don't want to say it's fixed, but they're no longer just openly lying about COVID not existing in Russia, for example. <sighs> One goofy piece of news is uh, anti-vaxxer Marcus Lamb, who I would comfortably describe as a mega-preacher. Televangelist. Yeah, absolutely. He died of COVID after, on his show, declaring that the vaccine mandate was was a sin against God's word. Uh, How did he connect to these concepts? Um, Well, he didn't use logic or evidence. Sure. He used religion. Sure. Which lets him say anything he wants. Yeah, but like... (laughs) I'm not saying that the connection needs to make sense, but usually people need some connection. So I didn't actually see that part of his broadcast. I tend to avoid televangelists because they're generally vapid and empty. Sometimes people report on it. The common way that people make these kinds of connections is saying that the plague is punishment sent by God so good pious people won't get sick. Oh, so by that mentality, they want everybody to get sick. They want everyone to be a super spreader. When your normal business is selling a cure to a problem you fabricated, if you can then sell an imaginary cure to a real problem that makes business look better, donations actually kind of remain the same or go slightly up when times get hard. People feel the need to be more generous, and they think donating to a church helps somehow. Oh, on that, this guy got some three or four million dollars in PPP loans, then then bought a private jet the following week. Of course. Two sources for this guy. We have JoeMyGod.com. haven't referred to them before, but everything cross-checked out when I looked at other sources, including (sighs) NBCNews.com. And... I guess segueing out of... Oh, real quick. Oh, yeah? According to your notes, did he ask people for prayers on his illness as he was dying? His, I'm sorry, not him, his wife. His wife. Yeah. Once he was put on a ventilator, it becomes hard to preach with well, yes. a tube in your throat. Well, if you're on Twitter, you're not going to get a whole sermon on that anyway. And just be like, hey, I got COVID. Well, if you condense, me. If you condense the sermon down to its key points, you can get the whole sermon plus 100 spare characters in there. Oh, my God. <laughs> No, um, his wife, who is seems largely to be a victim here, she was making what appeared to be genuine pleas for people to pray for him and to pray the COVID pneumonia away and to pray for oxygen to re-enter his lungs, and she made several deeply emotional pleas. Okay. Yeah. But in the end, not being vaccinated and being of an age where it's highly lethal and not taking any precautions and exposing yourself to lots and lots of people, like at a megachurch, kills you. Yep. <sighs> All right. One fucked up thing that I saw from 
that I looked into because of uh, our conversation last week on COVID. Yeah. So there's a woman in British Columbia. So that's Canada for people here in the Midwest who might have our common geography sense. That's neither British nor Colombian. Mm-hmm. She had a bad reaction, like a legitimate bad reaction to the AstraZeneca vaccine, one of the vaccines that isn't approved here in the U.S. And she had multiple doctors, including a hematologist, confirm it. She can't get a medical exemption. The deputy provincial health officer, uh, Dr. Brian Emerson, said that no medical exemptions have been issued so far in the entire province. If they won't issue a medical exemption, uh, or you said that AstraZeneca is not approved here. Is it approved in Canada? Yeah, it's approved in Canada. So if they have an approved vaccine and a known harsh reaction as a result of that vaccine, I mean, I, I can't speak to the Canadian government, but from when we covered it before, like the CDC explicitly said if this happens it is good grounds for an exception oh yeah yeah the my take when reading about this was that they simply haven't gotten to the point where they're actually issuing exemptions remember when we did the research it was a very small number of real there there was a very small number of cases for real medical exemptions Mm -hmm. the vast majority of people requesting them were like People with terrible claims that they had COVID already without any evidence supporting it. Obviously just trying to dodge the vaccine. Yeah, the bullshit things. That, that's not how any of this works. But yeah, yeah. anaphylaxis, to, especially in response to one of the, the vaccines, is like the one documented case where it is valid for it to have an exemption. Oh, yeah. She's had some ongoing things. And uh, what happened with her was she had anaphylaxis when it happened. And then she's had some ongoing clotting and blood issues. So it might be that one of the ingredients in the AstraZeneca vaccine was lingering in her system for a little while, like it wasn't being filtered out or something, and her immune system kept attacking it or something. But since it's only her, my thought process is, can she get a different vaccine? Maybe. I mean, if you can't say with confidence what in the vaccine was causing it, I can understand like legitimate hesitation over getting the other vaccines. Yeah. But this is uh, why medical exemptions exist, because real people do have real problems. And yeah. The rest of us need to vaccinate for those people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, nobody's expecting a 100% vaccination rate. That's just simply not achievable because, among other reasons, things like this. Yeah. There was uh, some asshole I was speaking to on LinkedIn just earlier today, and he was just making shit up. He, he said that like two of his family members died to the vaccine, and he was saying nonsense about the, the VAERS database. He was saying that it said that there were 16,000 deaths and 700,000 medical complications from the vaccine. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, I agree. It's bullshit. But even if it were true, we've given out like 5 billion doses of the vaccine. Yeah. That was last episode even. It might be more now, right? Yeah, with boosters where they are being talked about as much as they are it almost certainly is yeah a good bit higher but that's a uh, two three billion people vaccinated if there's sixteen thousand deaths in two billion people given a thing that makes it much safer than covid because we have not had maybe we have had two billion cases of covid but even if everyone had covid right that would be three times as many covid cases as there were vaccines there's five million covid deaths that have happened way more than three times sixteen thousand deaths so even by this guy's own numbers if the vaccine had killed six the vaccine if the five or six different vaccines we have had killed sixteen thousand people that's still so much safer than covid yeah it's obviously the right choice to do that because if i get covid i have one or more risk factors i have a one percent chance of just fucking dying if i catch it versus 16,000 in a billion? The fuck is that number? Ah, fuck it. Calculate the goddamn number. I'm gonna go with 2 billion. 0.0008% of people taking his version of the vaccine would die, compared to a 1% death rate of COVID among 
the average population and more like 20% among people older than a certain age. That's a pretty big difference. All right. One other thing I put in here that I wanted to discuss that's related to this because people hate these but sometimes situations and it segues right into this with this guy's terrible logic. I picked this video from Tech Connections, as he perfectly highlights this other problem that we have a good solution to that's way less contentious. But he talks about traffic lights. They let traffic flow a lot faster. You know, if it's green, you can just go. You don't risk crashing into people generally. But they are kind of wasteful. They're incandescent bulbs, or they used to be incandescent bulbs. Those get hot. They waste a lot of electricity. They burn out. They're not exactly cheap. And newer LED ones fix almost all those problems. But sometimes, because these LED ones are so much more efficient, they don't get hot, but sometimes snow hits them. If the wind's blowing just right at just the right angle, the little shroud, the little cover that's on them, holds the snow in instead of keeping the snow above it. So the first generation of these that they started installing 10, 15 years ago, sometimes would get caked in snow. Now, in practice, this wasn't really a huge problem, but there were one or two news articles. He even covers it, and he cites a source on this. But in practice, when there's a horrible blizzard like that, because it needs snow to be horizontal, uh, not a lot of people are driving anyway. So it's generally not a real issue, and we have solutions. Well, okay. Sorry, yeah. I'm sure all the solutions will cover what I'm about to say, but the, the argument of not a problem anyway because there's less traffic seems kind of weak to me because there's still traffic. Emergency services are still presumably happening. They still need to be able to navigate. Other people are going to be ignoring the weather, potentially to their own peril. They still need to be able to navigate. It's my understanding that no fatalities can be tracked back down to this, and it's my understanding that every jurisdiction here in the U.S. where we've deployed LED lights also mandates that people know what to do when a traffic light breaks. Because incandescent bulbs break all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've driven up to a traffic light where the light was out. Or even a month or two ago, a major intersection here, Dodge Street is like one of the main streets in Omaha. It in the 120th, the light was just out. It, you're not wrong about any of these things. But solely entrusting people to to doing these things has its flaws. And accepting more points of failure has its flaws. Uh I acknowledge that, yeah. This is this is the backup plan. But you have solutions. So, two things. There's a specially shaped shroud that when the wind blows at just that right angle, this little shroud also makes the wind turn and blow across the, the light and clear the snow out. And then you can also just strap heaters to these things. And they did. You can yeah. buy these things. Actually, they're cheap. I looked at it. I could buy a stoplight with a heater in it for, like, home use, I guess. Sure. But uh, but the rating and the way these things are set up, it just has, like, the lines from, like, the back of your car, right? The, the, the rear defroster. And they put that on there with a little temperature probe where if it gets below a certain temperature, it just turns on. And even that is still way more energy efficient because the light plus the heater consume about half of the electricity. And it completely solves the problem. Mm-hmm. And this tech connection guy really hits this point where it's like the but sometimes argument is terrible because every municipality that's switched from these incandescent bulbs to the LED bulbs, none of them are going back. They all love it. And this one sensationalist news story that's talking about this blizzard, it's not a real issue. Yeah, we don't want to have that risk there, but no one's died for national level deployments. And as far as we can tell, the people who did get in crashes were being wildly irresponsible and breaking the rules already. And even then, we had the ability to go look for solutions. 
Yeah. So it's like, yeah, that's the one part that gets me the most when people try to argue. But what about this other thing? And I mean, it's it's totally fair on the surface of it to ask these questions. These questions do need to be asked. The problem I have is often when people do ask these questions, they do it in a disingenuous way. Yeah, they're, they're not asking questions in good faith. They're shooting these questions like barbs at the progress of the future. Yeah, they're trying to say, well, th- there's there's this problem, therefore this can't be worked on. And it's like, well, no, you're right. There, there is this problem. Problem, but it absolutely can be worked on so let's work on it yeah and the but sometimes argument is what he's calling it. and i really like that li- that label of but sometimes well you know what even in even in traffic situations but sometimes shouldn't hold a lot of sway yeah we should discuss it but leave that shit to the experts because the experts found a solution that made these light bulbs cost or these uh lamps for the street cost like three dollars more and it's fixed and they're still a fraction of the price of the old ones they they last better they work longer they use less ah oh, just it's like the Daft Punk song. It's harder, faster, better. Str- just keep throwing adverbs at it. That's these lights. <sighs> they say that right or are they adjectives? Uh-oh. Don't trust adjectives. me on grammar. I don't fucking know. Well, let's just say these lights fuck. These lights fuck. These lights have big dick energy. Wait, that's not good. I don't know about Zoomer slang. <laughs> is big dick, big dick energy is good or bad? Big dick energy is good. Big di- Okay, I thought big dick energy was why you bought a Ford F-150 if you don't need to haul anything. No, big dick energy is synonymous with confidence. Okay, okay, yeah. Then LED street lamps have big dick energy. <laughs> okay. Boomers buying F-150s have small dick energy. Yes. Okay, that was my confusion. There you go. Okay. Anyway, uh, links to all of our sources for all of these things are in the show notes. Uh, the Tech Connections video, I really enjoy all of his videos. He just explains everyday technology. Uh, Joe My God and NBC News on Marcus Lamb's passing to COVID. Yahoo News and the CDC on the 1% of Americans older than 65. MSN, Reuters, and Worldometers for COVID numbers. And the unfortunate woman in British Columbia with the adverse reaction. Yep. Can you see yet? Just a little. Neither can I. This time recovering in the hospital sure has given me time to think. Please don't. (sighs) Doesn't destroying these computers, just for our ad spots, emit a bunch of carbon? Are we major contributors to climate change? You should consider Wren. What's Wren? They offer carbon offsetting. You can pay them to have carbon captured and your pollution mitigated. Like planting trees and shit? (sighs) Yes, like planting trees and shit. Important stuff, like funding clean energy for people who might burn a lot of fossil fuels just to get by, or research into future projects. That sounds like it could be complicated. It's easy. Just click the link in the show notes and use their online calculator. They can help you figure out how much carbon you emit and what it would take to offset. Oh, let me see. Hmm. Maybe my eyes aren't better yet, but I'm not seeing thermite bombs in their carbon calculator. Nor should you ever. Oh, well, then I guess I'll click the link in the show notes and see what it takes to carbon offset 23 computers you've destroyed at a rate of one per episode. I think this podcast could really use a breath of fresh air. Oh, fuck you. You know exactly what's coming. You make a fucking pun like that. Is that bad enough? I have to edit it out. Six people died. Fuck, I'm not making fun of them. I'm just 
It's a tornado thing. We have them every fucking year here in Nebraska. Fine. We used to have severe weather, you know, to the point where we have to seek shelter every year here, but we haven't really had seeking weather kind of severe weather in a while. We didn't have it this year, but uh, back when I worked at Air Force Weather, there actually was a point where they locked us in the basement. It's the, the only time, no, one of two times I've seen tornadoes with my own eyes, but uh, the I saw I saw an F-1 on the flight line at, off at Air Force Base. Hmm. I remember hearing about that. Yeah, they, uh... The safety personnel and all the military personnel were like, everyone get away from the windows. And all the weather scientists went straight to the windows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> then then the military personnel were like, no, we insist. You're going to the basement. And the weather scientists are like, fine, you have all the guns. We'll go to the basement. Yeah, like on one hand, like... Don't be near windows. Debris can be crashing in through the window at any time. But then the weather scientists are like, yeah, that's a statistical thing. I want to see a tornado. (laughs) You say debris. We say data. (laughs) It's not good data when the data flies into your face and makes it concave. I think one of those guys had safety glasses. That's not going to help. If it breaks the window, it's going to break the safety glasses. Apparently that day there were some F-16s. It's not like off at Air Force Base is an F-16 base, right? But planes come and go. They were being moved to some other place. It's a military base. Yeah, Yeah. and I guess one of them flipped over. And it's a big, for its size, they're lightweight, right? They have big wing things. They're designed to lift themselves into the air. and They are, in fact, aircraft, yes. (laughs) Uh... I didn't see that, though. I wasn't at a good angle. Didn't have my glasses either. It was blurry, but scary. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the this actual tornado was a big one. Some people are saying F5, but actual rated numbers so far are F3. F3. And, yeah. it, the National Weather Service rated it preliminarily. Okay, I got to add that caveat. Preliminarily as an F3. But it's it's it was a big deal, though, right? Because, I mean, yeah. first it's December. Tornadoes are a spring thunderstorm type thing, right? What the fuck's it doing in December? And then it crossed some vast distance. Yeah. So, and it was also part of a, a system that was dropping tornadoes over and over and over. Like, I think there was, like, oh, I don't actually know. Uh, but there was a number of other wind-related yeah. events and little F1s and F2s that spun off. Dozens of touchdowns. Oh, goodness. Yeah. As a part of this system, as it was passing through the whole area. What was that area? Oh, huge. <laughs> like, uh, I'd have to pull up the map. Let me see if I can find it. Okay. Up. How dare I? Yeah. What is this? Some kind of evidence-based podcast? I think the Wikipedia source actually has a map. And they have like 90 fucking sources. It's ridiculous. I can't find the map. But, I mean, the, the general area is like Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky, Illinois. It, it covers a lot of that area. Hang on. There's. I, I posted a map in the climate change chat. I'm going to see if we can have Keldar put the map in the YouTube video, but for people who are audio only, the Wikipedia page is Tornado Outbreak of December 10, 2021, and we'll make sure there's a link in the show notes you can follow to get there easily. Sure. So Arkansas, yeah, it was just south of Illinois. Looks like it just barely touched Ohio, but it it went the whole length of, is that Kentucky? Yeah. Yeah, that's Kentucky. It just stomped right over Mayfield and Bremen. But yeah, this tornado... So this is one of many tornadoes. We still haven't even gotten to the main point of any of this. Okay, main point. A EF3 struck an Amazon fulfillment center in, is it Edwardsville? Yes, Edwardsville, Illinois. Holy shit, I remembered that. So preliminarily rated an EF3, and there was actually multiple uh, weather alerts that happened during the day because this was an ongoing storm system that went over them multiple times because it's just the system as a whole was is that large. Yeah, it looks like it started 
uh, in Arkansas, December 10th, 4 p.m., and concluded in Ohio, 2 a.m., December 11th. Yeah. So that's a long period of time over a huge area. Yeah. So the first time they had a weather event, they, they did take shelter, and it passed by, and then they went back to work. And then the second time was the time when the, the tornado hit. And some people took shelter, some people did not, and we're still trying to figure out the details here. And I've, I've already seen a few things being said about this. I've seen some people claim that these people were... Like, they were denied the ability to use their cell phones, which pre-pandemic was a policy of Amazon, and the official Amazon spokespeople have said that that's not currently the case. Not that I would trust the spokespeople at face value. Yeah, and if the rules were changed, it might have been in a very technical sense, where every ship supervisor was telling their employees not to, but technically they were allowed. But one of the victims that did die in this tornado uh, hitting the warehouse... Uh, they were actually texting their loved one up till 20 minutes before their death. So, I mean, they clearly had a cell phone. Uh, so, like, the, the argument that some people are making that they, they didn't have access to cell phones, it, at least based on that, not so much the case. They... It's possible some of them might not have had access, but as a group, as a whole, some of them had. Okay. Yeah. So the misinformation on this can go either way. If someone's trying to categorically say that all these people had had the right to have cell phones, that person's probably full of shit. And if somebody said these people categorically, none of them had cell phones, that person's definitely categorically full of shit. It was a mixed bag. Some of these employees probably thought they couldn't have it, and we don't know yet the state of enforcement of these rules, and Amazon isn't a reliable source for that. Yeah. So we need to get an outside investigation before we know. And anything less is, we need to say, we don't know. Yeah, and the the people that were found and recovered from the rubble, there were people that were not in the shelter, and it's unclear why they weren't at the shelter when that the whole thing collapsed, and that's also ongoing investigation. Some people I've heard say that the workers were expected to continue working throughout the entire storm, and that there were workers in the shelters, so that is demonstrably false. But that does tie into another thing that happened, uh, because, again, this is a massive, massive storm system, and it covers multiple states. There was another factory in Mayfield, Kentucky. This factory creates candles, of all things. And at this factory, people, like, they heard the weather alerts, and they heard the sirens going off, and they wanted to leave and take shelter in their own homes. And the a number of workers, uh, by one article that I read, five workers said they were explicitly and directly told that if they left, they would likely be fired. Other workers have said that they were not told this directly, but they did overhear the conversations from these managers uh, saying that they would likely be fired. And a spokesperson from the, the Mayfield factory said that that's absolutely not the case. They, they have this policy where workers can leave at any time, come back the next day. It's not a deal. And it's like, well, yeah, what? there's the policies on the books. Then there's why you're firing people. Well, I mean, that policy, as stated on face value, doesn't make much sense because that's that's the type of thing that these people would be constantly concerned about abuse from. So, like, there has to be caveats and they're not, like, bothering listing them and it's like... I don't think the rules matter here. Kentucky's an at-will state. So, whatever the rules are, there's gonna be a subtext and there's gonna be an implication that if you make the bosses angry, they're just gonna fire you. Yeah. And it's candle-making. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that these aren't hard-to-replace workers. Probably not. And they probably don't have a union, so it's like, yeah, policy says you can go home. And when you do stay there, wink, wink, 
Yeah, but yeah, I'm not saying that the rules matter as a defense to these people. I'm picking apart the rules to demonstrate how disingenuous they're being. Ah, I see. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, uh, uh, yeah. To how that ties into the Amazon thing, well, on its own, the workers at this factory clearly were not given, you know, basic workers' rights. <laughs> they should be allowed to leave the factory and take shelter in their own fucking homes in the middle of a weather emergency. At a minimum, the factory should have a tornado shelter. Uh, because yeah. really, if there's a tornado, and they're they're far enough south that I wouldn't call this Tornado Alley, but clearly tornadoes can happen there. Uh, allegedly, their restrooms were uh, tornado safe, but they didn't have any kind of dedicated tornado shelter. And I don't think they had enough of the restrooms to house all 110 people in the factory at the time. It's a lot of toilets. Yeah, you know, it would be. So, but I haven't had that confirmed. I'm a little fuzzy on that particular detail, but that, that is my understanding of that situation. But I have heard people trying to say that, yeah, the Amazon workers weren't allowed to leave and that sounds plausible, but we just don't know yet. Yeah, there, well, there was one person who died in the Amazon workhouse or warehouse. Blah, <laughs> workhouse. Uh, there was one one of the victims that died in the warehouse. He. I did, think you meant sweatshop. Sure, he did uh, try to leave, and they were like, "Well, you can leave after the storm blows over." And I mean, that is close to it. What people are saying, people I've heard claim that yeah, the the Amazon workers had to keep on working, and no, most of them were in shelters. They were not expected to keep on working through the storm but a lot of these other details aside from that this is still a very fresh event and an investigation has already been launched uh, by osha osha says they're going to be investigating for six months and they will release their findings after that six months it's odd to declare that you're going to be investigating for a fixed length of time and i guess it makes a little bit of sense if you know if there's constantly new information to be digging up but it feels like once you and once you have the truth in hand you you'd be able to publish that i would imagine that this is just like a preliminary thing like for people that want answers you can satiate them somewhat by saying yeah this is when you can expect them I see. But, like, I would imagine that number is, is flexible, depending on what they find. Okay. That is unfortunate that we'll have to wait such a long time for answers related to the death of people. Yeah. Uh, I do think it's fair to say that no matter how you spin it, Amazon could have done better here. Well, yes. A Amazon has built big, complex systems for moving goods across the country efficiently and reliably, and they have probably hundreds of facilities across the country okay so while i was researching this i i stumbled onto an article that i initially thought was like wait that's weird that doesn't sound i think they might have made a mistake here then i look more closely they did not make a mistake exactly this has happened before a tornado came through an amazon warehouse uh, under questionable circumstances and killed people yes okay so i was just gonna say amazon has so many facilities that eventually it's gonna happen but amazon already knew that eventually it was gonna happen it's like every place that I've worked anywhere near the Great Plains had a tornado shelter. Mm -hmm. When I was in Columbus, Ohio, we didn't see tornado shelters anywhere, but Des Moines, uh, Omaha, Offutt, all the places around here, there were dedicated tornado shelters. So it's like, it's not even expensive, right? You just find the safest, most basement-like place in your building. And most people building up to code just include one of these. I mean, mm -hmm. It's factored into the cost, but if you're making a building, you get one of these things. Or a parking structure. Most parking... Uh, most parking garages are just big concrete things. You go in there and you lay the fuck down on the shitty, oily fucking ground and it sucks, right? You're dirty for a day, but you survive. Yeah, you get better. Uh, and it's 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 just Amazon. Nobody should be dying at Amazon facilities from tornadoes. Yeah, they're a little bit unpredictable, but you should have rules in place that say, yeah, if you don't come to the uh, 
If you don't come to the tornado shelter, when this sound happens, when this thing goes off, we fire you. And if Amazon corporate is saying we fire you for ignoring the tornado warning, then they'll fire the middle managers. And I know a lot of times these unethical pressures happen in the form of the corporate leadership saying one thing, but then demanding good numbers from middle management, so middle management ignoring them, like fast food restaurants. They'll often say, oh yeah, our, fresh, our french fries are replaced every half hour, but then they'll demand from middle management that the french fry budget and the french fry waste be under a certain amount, so the middle managers are uh, encouraged to keep the french fries around longer than half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, an hour, and there's this tension, and that's where the whole Amazon piss bottle came from. Officially, Amazon workers had the right to go take a fucking piss. In practice, if you did so, your numbers would hurt enough that you couldn't go take a piss. You pissed in a bottle. Yep. And that, that tension just shouldn't exist for goddamn tornadoes because they fucking kill people immediately and rapidly and Amazon had it happen once already. They should fucking know better and ha have had a solution in place. So the details to this. Lay it on me. This happened on November 2nd, 2018. So pretty recently. So yeah, three, four years ago. Three years ago. Almost. Three years ago. Okay. A little over. A November tornado is still pretty uncommon. Yes. It's really late in the season. This happened in Baltimore. Baltimore, Maryland? That is not where I go for tornadoes. Yeah, I don't think it's like Baltimore proper. It's like, because these fulfillment centers usually are on the outskirts of cities, from my understanding. Makes sense. They're big ass warehouses. You just put them near the freeway and they got to be big. Yeah. So, I mean, it's in the Baltimore area, November 2nd, 2018, an EF1 tornado hit the fulfillment center. An F1? F1. That's like a really big dust devil, but okay. And well, it's enough that it collapsed the walls and killed two people. Oh, God, that's terrible. I suppose if you're in an area that doesn't have tornadoes, you don't need to build to certain wind restrictions. But I'd imagine, well, actually, Baltimore's pretty far north. They don't really have to worry about hurricanes normally, do they? Not normally, no. Wow. So they just weren't ready for wind. An F1 came along, pushed a wall over. I could see how that could turn into a few people dying. And being that far north, they might not have practiced for tornadoes. I wonder yep. if that lulled management into a false sense of security. But either way, they should have these policies. We went out to a few Amazon facilities just to look around to see if we could talk to some of the employees. We we struck out. We went to three places. One didn't have the Amazon facility anymore. One still had an Amazon facility, but it was empty. And the third was under construction. So we just don't know where Amazon's located here in Omaha. But when we were driving around, we saw signs. One of the signs said, uh, uh, any trailer coming on site needs to meet these restriction requirements. See Amazon rule code and some rule numbers. Mm -hmm. And if we have a decent soundbite, I'll see if we can include it here. Tom, team trailer inspectors will be conducted on all Amazon trailers prior to moving within Amazon yards. If any damage is discovered, tag the trailer appropriately using red tagging, yellow tagging policy. Inspection to include the following tires, mud flaps, brakes, marker lights, bulkhead, airline, air electric line check, kingpin and sidewall check, landing gear, placard, skirt inspection, door light check, registration check, bumper international component check, trailer door securement, pursuant to Amazon policy 54730, visual trailer inspection. And clearly they have, like, procedures down to, like, specific things you're supposed to check and do. Okay, do that, but for tornado safety. Yep. What sources did you use to learn what you learned? Oh, a bunch of them. <laughs> so I uh, used ABC7 Chicago to get the, the basic information about the EF3 tornado that hit Edwardsville, Illinois. I used uh, KMOV.com to provide the source for OSHA launching its investigation. Independent.co.uk for the Amazon worker that texted to his loved one prior to dying. I have a link to Baltimore Sun for the EF1 that hit the Baltimore Fulfillment Center three years ago. 
uh, NBCnews.com for talking about the Mayfield Candle Factory and a WKRN.com for providing images of the Mayfield tornado destruction as well as providing uh, the details that the search is still ongoing and they've recovered 94 uh, or not recovered or accounted for 94 of the 110 workers. Well, that's good. I saw another article that clearly was wrong where they said that there were 40 people who died or were unaccounted for, but if they found most of those, that's good. I'm still. Yeah. NBC News uh, article that I linked claims that eight are confirmed dead. That's unfortunate. Yep. Wish I could do something for them. Hmm. Well, we'll look for charities or things, see if there's anything we can do to help yeah. irresponsible irresponsible leadership during natural, during natural disasters make what could have been inconvenient into tragedies. Yeah. I'm not going to say that you know losing a candle factory would have been a, a good thing, but we didn't need to lose the candle factory and eight lives. Yeah. Candle factories can be rebuilt. People, less so. Yeah. <sighs> okay, well, thanks for sharing stuff about this tornado and the labor issues around it. I believe we just have a grab bag of random labor occurrences. Up next. Yep. Zipper noises. What's the zipper? I'm pulling the button from somewhere. It's like a bag or something. <laughs> breathing noises. Give me a little bit of breathing noise. Come on. Like you're walking fast. Okay. Fucking puppy dog breathe. What the fuck? Hyperventil. I'm going to cut that out and use that later. That's the eSport breathing. The fuck is eSport breathing? When things get tense, you need to breathe a okay. lot for maximum oxygen. Okay, I'll get some stepping noises. Sure. So we have a smattering of other labor disputes to discuss. Anything you wanted to start with? Well, you explicitly mentioned uh, supporting the labor side of people who are earning millions and in the yeah. intro of all this. Make me... Uh... Yeah, make me put my evidence where my mouth is. Okay. Major League Baseball is having a lockout, which is sort of the opposite of a strike. It's where the management comes in and shuts the factory down and says nobody can get any work done until we solve some problem. Usually they think the workers are getting paid too much. So now's sort of the off season. It's going to be a while until the players get maximum leverage. With COVID, nobody's really playing much or doing much anyway. It's kind of an ideal time for management to strike. And I'm not big on baseball, so if I get the terms wrong and I confuse it with a football, please forgive me. Okay. But the MLB commissioner, who is some official, not attached to a specific team, but he put out a letter, and you can read it, and we'll, we'll link to it, and I originally heard about this from the Opening Arguments podcast, that podcast with a, a lawyer who describes random legal stuff. They went over this, and this letter makes it clear that the commissioner's trying to make it sound like this is for the good of the game, and that they had a hard time reaching an agreement with the players. And this is just like the other labor disputes we've had, where the management says one thing, and just it's clear something else is true. As soon as the contract expired, they immediately claimed that they couldn't come to an agreement. No communications have been exchanged. It was actually a legal precedent and I believe even a clause in the contract that said once the contract expires, the contract applies until a new one is agreed to by both sides. Or it's like there's some active rejection process that can be undergone. Okay. The idea is to allow for a good faith negotiation between the union and the managers. In this case, the, the labor is the players and there are people making millions. But you got to consider the, the owners of the teams. We're talking casual billionaires. Like... These people are preposterously wealthy. As big as the wealth gap is between the Kellogg strikers and the millionaires running the plants, the same category of wealth gap exists between the players.
players who are millionaires. Some of them actually make a lot less. Some people in Major League Ball make as, as little as 300000 a year, which is really good money. I wouldn't turn that down, but that's like high-end software development money? That's not get famous money. Yeah. If you're making that much, you know, you save it up and you're, you're frugal, you can become a millionaire after a few years, but you'll never get to be a billionaire. You'll never get to the point where you can casually own a team and your own private jet. Just it's different levels of money. And they're doing the exact same things that the Kellogg's management are doing to the Kellogg's employees. They're trying to get more time out of them. They're trying to control the situation to maximize the amount of wealth they can extract. So I don't exactly know how the draft and how trading players works. But having gone through this, it's clear that they're trying to say that management needs more control for the good of the game. But they haven't really said how it helps anybody except themselves. Selves. Yeah, I was going to say, like, how do these concepts connect? Something a question I find myself asking a lot. So uh, I will defer people to the letter and to experts on Major League Ball. I bring this up primarily to address the hard point. We need to have solidarity with labor, even if they're already making a lot of money. There's no amount of money a, pr a professional ball player can make that will significantly, not even significantly, there's no amount of money a professional ball player can make that will impact our ability to make money. If anything, it gets more money out of the hands of people who will just sit on concentrated wealth. Whatever your job is, you're just not going to be selling to that many billionaires because there just aren't that many billionaires. Right? For everyone out there who's writing software, laying brick, bricks, laying pipes, being a doctor... <laughs> Making coffee, making cereal at a Kellogg's plant. For all of these people, you can sell to way more major league ball players than you can billionaires. And the more money is out there, the more money is out of the hands of billionaires, the more customers your business can have, the more your business can afford to pay you. This just comes down to the fundamental concept of wealth inequality. We can't have a healthy economy where billionaires have all the wealth. Yeah. And this isn't the ideal mechanism to get wealth away from billionaires, but it's a mechanism. And every time there's a legal precedent set in a contract negotiation in a court case for these major league ball players, the same court precedent, the same laws, the same things are going to be used against labor in other areas. So we need unions to be strong. We need these labor disputes to resolve in a legally sound and ethical way. So that way, whatever legal precedents do happen, don't wind up fucking people who have a much less desirable union. <sighs> like maybe Amazon shippers. Yeah, that's definitely the more popular one. Yeah, I would much rather be in the pro ball. Actually, you know, I probably wouldn't. If I were somehow in the pro ball league, I would be deeply fucked. Yeah. Because, like, I'm fat and slovenly. Whatever. If I got out on the field, could you imagine me swinging a bat, like, pretending like I know how to play baseball? I mean, swinging a bat, I think you'd do okay at, but it's almost everything else. Like, sprinting around the bases comes to mind. I mean, I could sprint relative to my own speed. <laughs> I'm pretty sure most of these players could jog faster than I could sprint. Maybe. And I honestly don't think I'd do good at swinging the bat either. I mean, like, I can swing a piece of wood, but the people I've ever played baseball with, they're not throwing 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. True. Uh, they have a skill. They get paid for it. And I guess that's another thing that differentiates labor from uh, the wealthy. The people who own these teams aren't being paid because... They're deploying some specific skill. They're getting paid because they already own this thing that generates wealth. And that thing is the access to the skill of all of their workers. Blah. Anyway, I was trying to segue over to uh, Amazon. You did some research on that? Uh, a little bit. There was a vote to unionize at a fulfillment center in Bessemer, Alabama, back in April. This vote failed. This was one of the things that instigated our first discussion on, not labor specifically, but we talked about a universal basic income and welfare and things like that, didn't we? I think so. Okay. But 
Yeah, the vote had 738 people for and 1,798 against out of about 6,000 people that worked at the fulfillment center. That was the result of the vote. It's my understanding that there were about 3,000 total ballots. And the difference between that was the challenge ballots, about 500 of them. The challenge ballots goes to the other point that I was going to segue. I was just going to establish just the results of the vote. That is the the immediate, or I should say, yeah, immediate result of the vote right there. Uh, Some people were like, okay, vote the workers have spoken. They don't want a union. And the last time I got deep into unions, I brought up, I I believe, this exact circumstance and people were trying to make that argument. But there... Just to clarify, we've had arguments with people about unions and a common point that we think is made by disevidential sufferers is is that people are saying Americans don't want unions. Yes. And then they cite poor union performance, pretending that the only reason a union might perform poorly is people don't want to support it. Union attendance is like been has been declining for the last few decades and they're like well clearly people don't want to be in unions otherwise why would union participation decline yeah that has nothing to do with active union busting yeah totally yeah they don't acknowledge union (laughs) busting all that much and it's it's actually shocking how lacking in context that conservative sources for this kind of information are yeah building on that very common uh, it is very very common for employers to deploy union busting techniques i mean forever ago i remember reading all sorts of things about the lengths that walmart would go to in order to union bust amazon is also guilty of union busting in fact so many companies union bust there are other companies that do nothing but outsource union busting successful companies that exist that that's all they do and they're hired by places like walmart and amazon so someday when we have a giant office and hundreds of researchers and journalists working on the disevidential podcast we can hire a consultant to prevent them from unionizing that is possible yes that's disgusting and we won't do that i will i will help them unionize against me i would much rather be there (laughs) holy shit yeah so so union busting is a very, very real thing. Like if there's an industry around it where companies can be established and be successful, yeah, it's a fucking thing. And when talking about union votes, there's always accusations of people being intimidated in some way, shape, or form, or being coerced, or at best incentivized. That's that's still like a vague form of manipulation, I guess, depending on the, the incentive thing. Like if people are being like, okay, guys, we don't want you to unionize we're going to increase your pay by 10 percent okay that's still an incentive but that's if that's what they were arguing for in the first place and why they wanted to unionize then okay fine fine that's a valid reason to (laughs) be like okay we don't want to unionize anymore but yeah that's a magical fairyland level of uh yeah that doesn't that doesn't happen yeah but hypothetically if it did then okay fine that would be legit now what we have seen is places promising one-time bonuses to prevent the formation of a union yes because unions have a long-term impact and the one-time bonus is a cost that can be absorbed. Yeah, it's a very calculated thing. And then they can say like, okay, we're going to be set back this much and we'll be able to recoup that by this point in time. And then we're just better off from that point on. And they can do all that math up front and everyone else is just like, well, shit, I could put, like, depending on the size of the bonus, they could be like, I could get a new car or I could put a down payment on a house. And like, they, they think. And oh. it and it is hard to gauge that one-time bonus. If you're making $30,000 a year and they offer you a $15,000 bonus, that's a life-changing amount of money. Yeah. But if you'd unionize, maybe you'd get a $5,000 a year pay bump. Maybe you'd get health insurance. Maybe you'd get these things that over a year or two would add up to that. And then in 
10 years, you've gotten four or five times that. But it's this psychological thing. We're, we're very good at maximizing short-term gains, and we're very bad at understanding the real cost and benefit of long-term mm -hmm. situations. So, yeah, union busting and, like, anti-union rhetoric is, is a common thing. Like, for every single union vote, you're going to find some evidence of this happening. Now, exactly how much evidence you're going to find and like how effective those efforts are going to be that's what varies from case to case and in the case of the bessemer alabama vote it was contested based on like a number of objections and do you want me to go into the balance test you know, in, a, in a sec okay nlrb national labor review board uh, they threw the results of the vote out and they said that you need to do another vote because of numerous objections and yeah to piggyback on that thought real quick, that was a regional National Labor Review Board. What? Okay, so the National Labor Review Board is this federal agency, and they have different regions. But the, the regional one overturned it and said, no, you have to have a new election. Amazon appealed that to a national level. That's a better way to say that. Yeah, a national level National Review Board. No, to a federal level National Review Board. Okay. Provided Amazon loses that appeal, there'll be a new election. And that looks like it's what's going to happen. Because of how many things they fucked up. Yeah. So in legal proceedings, sometimes there are cases or situations where judges have to decide which right matters more on balance. Sometimes it's cut and dry where it's you know, somebody owns a thing and somebody else stole it. Other times nobody started off owning the thing and both people have reasonable claims to it. And these balance tests typically ask a number of questions and you provide answers for each of these questions and they let you see one way or the other if it was valid or invalid in this case. Some of the, the tests in this, in this balance test were how many people were influenced. So we could imagine that if only one or two people were intimidated, that's unlikely to affect the outcome. Mm -hmm. Amazon fails this one miserably because everybody was affected by the alleged intimidation tactic. All 6,000 people were exposed to the implication that their vote wasn't going to be private, that their vote wasn't anonymous, that they, the management was expecting a no vote. There's how close to the election was the alleged infraction. Because if it happened a year ago and then they've cleaned up their act, that indicates something. It indicates that the company is operating in good faith. But Amazon kept this stuff running up until the day before the election. And there's a number of things like that. Do you want to describe what Amazon was doing or do you want me to, to lay out some of the things Amazon did? Well, the big one that I read about yeah. was that they had a mailbox in one of their parking lots. <laughs> yes. And to, to confound that too, all these ballots were supposed to be mailed in. But the day after it was decided that this was going to be a mail-in election, Amazon worked with the post office to get a mailbox in, installed in their parking lot the yeah. next day. And there was... <laughs> yeah, so that on its own gave some workers the impression that maybe Amazon was conducting the vote. On top of that, allegedly there was a security camera that was pointed at the mailbox. Which is one of those implied threats. It was well known that anybody delivering their mail to this box was on camera. That removes the sense of anonymity that would normally exist with mail-in ballots. Yeah. Now, people could still take them home, but Amazon was being quiet about that. So that's another thing that's tainted. The process, uh, does the process and force anonymity or reject it. it was clearly they were attempting to reject it yeah so people were concerned that yeah they wouldn't be anonymous that they wouldn't be private and there would be retaliation for their vote they apparently had a small tent placed over the uh, mailbox 
with a big banner. I'm trying to remember what the banner said, but it was a make your voice known or something. And inside the tent, they had a small desk or like a folding table where they had managers and Amazon representatives passing out swag, like no stickers, little teddy bears that said vote no on unionizing. And they were monitoring people as they were putting their ballots into the mailbox. Oh my God. If you wanted to vote yes, you had to walk up to someone with the capacity to fire you, put your ballot into a box... And you kind of had to take a no sticker with you because they would know if you didn't take a no sticker at a minimum. And it's unclear how much extra pressure was placed on these people at this point. Mm -hmm. So it might have been to the point where, and there's not allegations of this, but it's not unreasonable to presume that some of these people took the ballots, tried to gauge whether or not it was a yes or a no, and then discarded some of the yeses. Because of the 6,000 people, again, only 50% voter turnout, or about 3,000 ballots out of the 6,000. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Some other confounding things that are technically legal, technically don't violate any of these things. Amazon was also mandating that people attend classes. Now, this is legal as long as they're paid for it, but in these classes, they were shown extreme anti-union propaganda, and they did this all the way leading up to the election. So these people have to work so hard and so constantly that they have no time to unionize, but we have time for propaganda. Yep. Yeah. So it sounds like just about everything that you can do. We haven't explicitly described intimidation. There was no threats of violence. There was the constant implied threat of... Firing. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so yeah. And then at this stage is also not the place where we'd get allegations of people being fired. There's separate court proceedings for that. If you are fired for trying to unionize, can file a claim with the NLRB and start a legal proceeding there for it. That's considered a separate matter. So if there were people fired who were being union leaders, then that wouldn't have come up during this proceeding. You can read the whole thing. We have a a link to a a PDF, the Amazon Bessemer Supplemental Decision PDF. We'll go ahead and include that. As a counterpoint, like an understanding of what other people might say about some of the individual points that we make here, in particular about unions, I decided to go over to the Heritage Foundation. Oh, they're always reliable for misinformation. Yeah, okay, fine, sure. (laughs) You faked left. (laughs) I've been thwarted. (laughs) They are full of shit. Bamboozled. Okay. But yeah, the Heritage Foundation is a shit show. They are terrible, abysmal. Like, I remember the, like, the very first time after I found out about the existence of the Heritage Foundation, first thing I did is I go over to their website and I look at space. Because I'm like, how can, like, what even is the right wing view of space? This is something that should be nonpartisan. And the first fucking thing I see is a bunch of articles about how people want to weaponize space. They're like, yeah, no, control of space is a national security issue. We need to arm it. I'm like, what? The solar system should have more guns. How else can it defend itself from tyrannical stars? Like, (laughs) sorry. Okay. On one hand, I understand the argument of, well, if we don't do it, someone else is going to do it. We should be prepared. But like, how the fuck is that at the forefront of what you have to say about space? Like, there are so many other better things to cover. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have that discussion, but that shouldn't be at the fucking forefront. Fuck you, Heritage Foundation. Do you have any other specific egregious examples of them picking nonsense points of view? Oh, you know I do. So, (laughs) it just, sorry, brief trip down memory lane. That was my first experience with the Heritage Foundation. Fuck them. 
I decided to go over to the Heritage Foundation during the course of the research for this episode, and I wanted to see their opinions on unions. So I just go over to the search bar, type in union. And one of the top results that I get is commentary, at least that's what the URL suggests that it is, uh, where they're talking about the Amazon Fulfillment Center unionization vote that we were just talking about in Bessemer, Alabama. This was posted, I think, two days, maybe three days after the results of that vote were initially posted. And most of this article, this commentary, they're talking about the PRO Act, the protecting the right to organize. So it enhances the ability for workers to form unions. Okay, so is that accurately named? That's like a liberal piece of legislation that's accurately named? Or is it Republicans no, no, making the, a thing that's a lie? That is the actual name. Gordon, uh, I mean, I have the Wikipedia link right here. Okay, and it actually does that. Okay. Well, the the summary that's provided by Wikipedia would amend the National Labor Relations Act of 1935, the Taft-Hartley Act, and the Labor Management Reporting Disclosure Act of 1959. Uh, it revises the definitions under labor law, permits labor unions to encourage participation in secondary strikes, prohibits employers from litigating against unions which conduct such secondary strikes, revises the definition of employee, supervisor, and employer in order to broaden the scope of individuals. Uh, okay, this is taking too long it does a lot of things and superficially they they look like they're good okay so it's just not a patriot act situation where like the patriot act sounds like oh i'm a patriot let's let's do good things and then it turns out to be government spying and setting up totalitarian bullshit yeah well okay the intent appears legitimate awesome awesome okay and and we have links to the wikipedia article about the pro act as well as the congress.gov page that has the the full bill we're going to provide both of those anybody that does want to get a closer look at the pro act they can absolutely do that and this guy at the heritage foundation spent probably like three quarters of his his article talking about the PRO Act, making all sorts of weird, dumb claims, tried to argue that 95% of people who are in unions don't want to be in unions. And like even with the regards to this union vote, he just accepted it as absolute fact that the, the it was struck down and it was legitimate and just kind of moved on. He just didn't really take time to consider any of the intimidation. That didn't stop him from trying to argue that the intimidation is something that unions do, which, okay, sure, I'm willing to believe that like there's a non-zero amount of that, but... Yeah, we haven't seen any evidence of that going into this. I mean, I'm... They actually do provide sources on unions intimidating people. Oh, the Heritage Foundation, I'm sure these sources will be flawless. I didn't look too closely at it because it, it, the further I was going, the, the more kind of outside the scope. Like, I don't really want to pick apart the Heritage Foundation, although I probably could. I just didn't have the time for it. I just wanted to get an idea of the dissenting view. And it's gloriously devoid of nuance, detail, or any kind of objectivity. It, they just they make a bunch of claims. Some of them are sourced. A lot of them are not. And... They just, they gloss over context that would be important, that would change the interpretation of certain bits of data. The, even the claim that they made about like 95% of people in unions don't want to be in unions is based on, like, I, I actually tried to follow the, the chain of sources and it comes back to 
the Heritage Foundation's own data collection. So they functionally cited themselves for that claim. And it's like, uh, at least when we cite one of our other episodes or other episodes cite sources. Yeah, I, I didn't go super deep into it. It's just it's OK. Yeah. What do you think their opinion of unions is? Well, they think unions are a terrible idea. They tried to make the normal conservative rhetoric where like, oh, yeah, the labor unions take money away from you. And they didn't acknowledge any of the benefits that you get in return for having or just paying union dues. They talked about people not having the choice to be in a union. They tried to make it sound like that's just a, a thing that happens all the time. People are sucked into unions against their will, which no, that is not the case. And they tried to say unions won't protect you from certain things. They tried to make the argument that you're just better off working directly with your employer. Unions are anti-freedom, you know, it's, all that. It's all these talking points that are baseless. Because if people were just better work... So the Heritage Foundation is super right-wing and funded by very wealthy people. Why should we trust very wealthy people that say, you're better off talking to us directly than going through an intermediary? What kind of ridiculous nonsense is that? And if that were the case, why would rich people constantly be trying to get rid of the unions? If the workers would get better pay without the union, why would Kellogg's be trying to constantly get rid of the union? It's just, it's so obviously and transparently bullshit. Yeah, and, and on that topic, someone who's looking at this potentially for the first time, they're like, okay, well, maybe some groups intimidate over unionizing or not unionizing, and maybe some of these things happen, but why should I care about being in a union? And so, I, I again, time constraints. I didn't quite collect all the different sources I wanted to, but I did find one particular source from uh, Reuters. The differential pay gap uh, weekly pay gap, mind you, changed from uh, between non-union workers and union workers. In 2013, the average pay weekly pay gap was $20. And in 2019, that pay gap is now $50. So the average union employee makes $50 a week more. Yes. So the average union employee, presumably working 40 hours a week, makes an extra, an extra dollar an hour. Okay. Something like that, yeah. yeah. So you just get paid more. And they also made the point that union workers are on a more predictable schedule. Uh, they do tend to work more hours overall. I mean, they're due to their schedules being less volatile. Well, also, there's a whole class of workers that are underemployed. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of people that want to work long enough to get full-time benefits and often employers like fast food places or retail outlets will intentionally shortchange these people and they'll schedule them for 28 hours a week and full time and that state kicks in at 30. So fuck them. Yeah. And yet being in a union allows you to protect yourself from that kind of shenaniganry. The same article goes on to say that 65% of Americans view unions favorably and workers have won 72% of all union elections held in the last five years, which is encouraging. That's a pretty big percentage. Yeah. Huh. There is a general upward trend for union participation as of very recently. Since striketober or since the pandemic? Uh, a little bit before the pandemic, but I would imagine the pandemic really caused it to pick up steam. Yeah, a whole bunch of people leaving the labor force that are predominantly old and had the highest pay and highest skills leaves a gap to be filled that yeah. makes sense. There's a very narrow band over which the demand for labor is elastic. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm using some economist terms here, but the price of a good is considered elastic when it directly responds to supply and demand. Because some things do, right? You don't have to have apples specifically, like the fruit. 
So if the price for apples goes up, some percentage of the population will decide to eat less apples. And if apples become much more plentiful, suppliers are more likely to try to undersell other apple producers, which will create more sales by decreasing the price. But then on the flip side, healthcare, heart stints, right? If you need a heart stint, it's a little thing they stick in your heart so you don't fucking die, right? The price for that is inelastic. If you need one, you will you will get it. It does not matter what it costs because the alternative is death. Yep. So they could cost a million dollars or one dollar and you would buy the same number of heart stents. Labor is somewhere in the middle, but closer to inelastic. And there's this very narrow band where negotiation actually exists. If there's two workers for every job, clearly the the, the job providers get to dictate wages. But if there's two jobs for every worker, clearly the workers get to decide. And there's this really narrow band around like 2% unemployment, where it's almost perfectly balanced, where negotiation actually matters and works. But you tilt a little bit in favor, like you tilt a little bit in favor of people either way. So if you get up to like 6% unemployment, that's almost the same as having two jobs, I'm sorry, two workers for every job. Because 6% unemployment means if I'm an employer, I can find somebody else. And then on the flip side, if you're at 100% employment, it's I better hang on to every single worker I have. Functionally, there are zero em employees out there, even at 2%. Because like, what are the chances I'm going to find an employer with an appropriate skill set? I'm going to have to pay a lot of money for that if I'm an employer. So there's this really narrow window where anything like normal supply and demand matters. And the pandemic just took a ton of people out of the job market by killing them or scaring them away from COVID. And yeah. It's we're experiencing elasticity right now, and it's different and frightening for a lot of people. It could go either way in the future. Sorry, I totally took your point and ran somewhere weird with it. No, that's fine. You were saying about pay gaps, union benefits, I think? Well, just why you want to be in a union. And pay is the big one. They talk about union dues, and okay, yeah, sure, when you're in a union, you are going to pay dues. But you're going to make more than that, like potentially a lot more than that, depending on the specifics of the job, from just the negotiating power you get from being in a union. Yeah, if you got to pay $20 a month to be in a union, and you get an extra $50 a week... That's a no-brainer. You do that. Yeah. You might get butthurt over somebody saying that you get $20 less a month, but honestly, get the fuck over it. You're still making more. More is good. It's like the people who say, I don't want to make more money because then I'll get taxed more. You know, yeah, progressive taxes. The people forget how those work. Yeah. It's, every time you make more, the new money is taxed at a higher rate. You'll never wind up being in a situation where an extra dollar will cost you $2 in taxes. That just yeah. doesn't exist. Yeah, it doesn't exist at all. Anyone trying to argue otherwise is a fucking liar or a fucking idiot. Full stop. So we're foreign. We don't know the laws in all the places. I heard about this psychological test. Yeah. Where so you have two people. Yeah. Person A, person B, and person A receives money. Let's say a hundred dollars, and they have to make a proposal for how that money is split between them and person B. Then person B gets to decide yes or no. And if they say yes, both of them get the money. And if they say no, all the money is discarded. Correct. Okay. I've heard of similar experiments, but there's lots of conclusions and lots of people who ran them. So what happened in the one year recalling? From what I read, there was a surprisingly a surprising number of people that when things skewed heavily towards uh, person A, like say person A says, oh, let's do an 80-20 split and A keeps 80 and B gets 20, then B, and, and, and even in, when it skews even heavier towards A, especially B starts saying no a whole lot. And they're both out money, but like the 
by the like just the raw logic of it even if it's 99 one b is still getting one extra dollar they wouldn't get otherwise <laughs> like so i've seen that conclusion i've also seen the one where they bring in people from different cultures because the result you're talking about is what happens when you expose americans and europeans to this but when you expose africans and asians you get slightly different results the the non-western cultures are much more tolerant and they approach the 99 to 1 logic that you described where if you're just looking myopically at this one decision so i think the the american and european spite defense where it's like fuck you i'm not taking 30 when you're taking 70 i think that notion is a cultural response to this kind of unfairness sure and if that spite response is well developed and omnipresent in society then maybe hopefully you'll have fewer or less well inequality because you'll have less unfair deals i don't know but i see this particular thought experiment as as being similar to how a lot of conservatives are reacting to the idea of union dues they're like you're taking my money fuck you and they're not thinking that like well sure but like look at all the benefits you're getting including monetary you're still walking away with more money and you get all these other benefits okay i see how you're connecting it that makes sense where they would rather accept less money Instead of building a relationship and getting more money, even if they have to pay a little bit of money for that relationship. Because it's being framed as it's something's being that you earned is being taken from you. Yeah. And the conservatives who feel that way also pretend like they earn all the money that they get from their job, ignoring that all jobs are a team effort. If you're making the money all by yourself, what you have is a sole proprietorship, not a job. And even then, you're not earning all the money by yourself. You're a member of a society. You didn't invent the concept of money. Somebody else did that at a minimum. But whatever you buy, that is your product. If you're a plumber, you need to buy pipes and fittings and tools. You didn't make those. No man is an island. We all exist in this interactive, interdependent thing. And the people who hold that logic, that thought process that you just said... They skip that in my experience. And that is, I don't have good sources for that. That is just my personal experience dealing with people who say that type of shit. Yeah, it reminds me of people talking about taxes and how they don't want to pay them. And then like any idiot who fucking says taxation is theft. Yeah, those people. I hear that shit constantly. And then I'm like, well, well, don't you like having roads? Like, I could pay for toll roads. I'm like, no, you fucking couldn't. No, you fucking couldn't. Wasn't there a really good post somewhere, maybe it was Reddit, where somebody was like, okay, I propose that we give corporations the ability to not pay taxes, but in exchange, they can't interact with anything from the government. And like, they start off by saying, okay, well, that means you're no longer allowed to use the court system. If you have <laughs> that's amazing a legal nope. complaint to make, well, you're, just, you're you're not paying taxes. You're not allowed to use this. You can't have us arbitrate any of your problems. That's amazing. And like, okay, emergency things. Your building catches on fire. Well, I hope you have a, your own subcontractor that's a fire department because the municipal fire part department's not going to come to your aid. That one's a little bit more extreme because death is involved. I mean, they listed off a really long list of all the different things that the government does. And they're just like, nope. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to have some of these things operate in a free market. We talked about elasticity and inelasticity just a few minutes ago. The free market doesn't function adequately for inelastic goods like justice. Justice isn't a good you can buy on the free market. You have to have a court system and police system separate and distinct from the market, or just shit doesn't work. And then these people will sometimes try to compromise with you on this and be like, well, why don't we have taxes and you just pay for the ones you want to use? 
Oh my god. Fucking idiot. You that's not how risk aggregation works. We all need to pay for the fire department because if you just pay for your shit when you have a goddamn fire, no one will be able to afford it. Your fire is going to cost you a fuckload of money per instance, so we all pay a little bit of taxes all the time constantly to be able to handle it when it does happen. I mean, otherwise, it just wouldn't be a fire department. Yeah. I, mean, I don't know what a fire engine costs, but I know it costs enough that you can't make a phone call and get one. <laughs> right? If your building is burning, you cannot go buy a, a fire truck and extinguish your burning building in a timely fashion. Somebody needs to have the fire truck ready all the time and primed and going. So at a minimum, it has to be some sort of insurance-like setup where it's going on constantly. But then these hyper-capitalists always want to dodge insurance, too. They're interested in saving money now and keeping the benefits. It's always hypocrisy. It's never a genuine point. And the people who do put it out there genuinely, they're just, they just haven't thought it through. They're not, they're either operating with this event or they're probably a little bit stupid. Most of these people. Yeah. <sighs> that lines up with my individual experience with other people trying to make these claims. Yeah. But... The vast majority know that that shit wouldn't work and they're just hypocrites. Yeah. People being weird about these things. We are way off in the weeds. Yeah, we are. I'm trying to think how we, we did. We did touch on all of our labor points though, didn't we? I don't, I think we we missed one or two so far. Um, Starbucks was yeah, one we Starbucks. missed. Yeah, Starbucks. Yeah, go for Starbucks. Brittany Harrison. Okay, so many of us have heard recently that Starbucks uh, had their first store in the U.S. successfully vote to unionize. That's like one Starbucks location. I don't know how big it is. Could be a dozen, could be 50 people. But they agreed to form a union to ensure their safety and fair wage and some scheduling concerns during the pandemic. Because they were having to deal with people that were unmasked, not socially distancing, not keeping clean. All the general stresses that come with working in a fast food environment. And none of it was good. It's not a good place to be. You're not getting paid a living wage. And you can go on with those level of complaints. They were getting help from Brittany Harrison, who was a manager of Starbucks from California and Arizona. She'd worked in different places at different times. And she was fired from Starbucks while she had uh, well, cancer. She lost her health care because health care is tied to our jobs in this country. And her and the other people were generally not making a living wage. So some of the people in involved in this were having to work multiple jobs. Some were making as few as ten or as little as ten dollars an hour. I don't know if you've seen what you can get for ten dollars an hour, but it's it's not a great. It doesn't set you up to to live in a in a high quality uh, living situation. It doesn't get you high quality food. Doesn't get you a good car. Yeah. So you're not going to be a good employee. You're you're not going to be highly functional. You're not going to be like living in a in a two story house with you know, a car that's made in the past decade. You're just going to be barely getting to work. And you're going to be working your ass off to pay for a closet to live in. And I'm not trying to be derogatory. I mean, I've had those small apartments before, but it's not where you want to be. These workers and their vote still need to go through the National Labor Review Board to verify the vote. So, of course, Starbucks will challenge it. But these people will probably have a better life for themselves in the coming years and months once this contract negotiation completes, once they have a union. And Starbucks was fighting it every step of the way. Starbucks said they didn't want it. They said that their employees were paid well enough. They said that the price of the food and things would go up. But if you look at the unionized goods we have, shipping internationally on boats is entirely unionized. It's cheap. Yep. We know this because we order things from China all the time and they come on those boats. Frosted flakes are cheap. We know that's made by a union. Just every good like that is cheap and effective and the people who have it make a living wage. And the CEO of Starbucks, a man named Johnson, makes $15 million a year, and he's trying to tell me that it's okay that one of his workers is making $10.25 and was fired for trying to unionize even though he needed a second job to keep himself from being homeless. Or, back to Brittany Harrison, this woman, who had cancer and was fired for trying to unionize after she was systematically 
I don't want to say systematically abused, but systematically mistreated into a situation where she either abused her employees or she couldn't make her metrics. This is, yeah, I'm not going to side with the millionaire on this. If my coffee costs an extra something more, so be it, but it won't. It will probably get cheaper because that's how this usually works. The business usually gets more efficient when the employees care about participating in the business. But that's not the main point here. Just these people deserve a, a, a living wage. Yep. Uh, my sources for that one, I cite the New York Post for some basics of the story. The Guardian has uh, some details about people that were fired for uh, attempting to unionize previously. Jacobin Magazine and a video on Reddit made uh, with the participation of Brittany Harrison have details about her life and her story and some of the internal uh, documents she captured from Starbucks going all anti-union on these other people. On the topic of unions, there's there are some negatives that can be said about unions. Uh, probably the biggest, most blaring negative. And actually, depending on how you look at it, it can be viewed as a positive, as twisted as that may sound. But we, we touched on this last time we were talking about unions. Specifically, police unions exist. They are very, very strong. They do a lot of good for the police officers. And even to the point where it starts being questionable, like letting murderers get away with murder. Yeah, if unions are so bad, then why do police officers have them? There's that question right there. That's really damning to a lot of conservative viewpoints on this. Yeah. So letting people get away with murder is pretty shitty, but it speaks to the strength of unions when they work. And but somehow I don't think the Starbucks or the Amazon union is going to aid and abet murder. No, no, definitely not. But the, the police union example is a grossly exaggerated, uh, well, it's still accurate, but exaggerated to the point that I, I do want to bring up in that sometimes unions are capable of protecting people that shouldn't be protected. And if you have enough union jobs, you are probably going to stumble upon someone that you feel shouldn't be protected by the union. They are a liability. They drop morale. Maybe this is, uh, maybe in some cases, I'd imagine this is a matter of judgment where you think that someone has a particular problem that makes them unemployable, but judgments like that, they can be flawed. Uh, something that's a little bit less susceptible to the issue of judgment. Maybe, like I've heard stories of people in unions being protected after they uh, sexually harassed women in the workplace. That's not something that should happen. Uh, I personally have interacted, I mean, I wasn't in the, like, the same union working the same job, but I was uh, interacting with people who were in said union working this job but like in a college there was a secretary for a particular office she was a bit lazy and college students would occasionally come to her to give her paperwork to be passed along in order to complete their coursework oh coursework's bad word uh, to complete what they need in order to get their degree to complete like the procedures yeah and being lazy she would just stuff it into one of her desk drawers and then just not touch it these this was found out later by one of the other secretaries when one of these students came looking for answers and the yeah they did a search they managed to find this paperwork and found out that it was never passed along it was never filed and nothing was ever done about it and this was months after the paperwork was handed in and this other student was denied their degree as a result of this laziness she was not fired because she was protected by the union now, denied their degree or their degree was delayed well up to that point their <laughs> their degree was denied uh but I don't, I don't know what happened to them after the fact i don't know what other rules was there 
I don't know if that delay incurred extra issues. I I don't know. I didn't really stay interacting with these people for long enough to figure out what happened after the fact. But I will say, at a minimum, delayed by months as a result of laziness. That kind of negligence on the job should get you fired on the spot. That person should not have been defended. And so unions can, in some cases defend people that don't deserve defending that can be demoralizing to the other workers as well as the employers and i mean yeah that's shitty do enough union jobs talk to enough people that are working union jobs you're gonna find somebody that has a story like this but despite that being in a union is just better for most people my response to that whole anecdote is we have so few people in unions right now that i don't know anyone in that situation and if we had more people in unions we would have more people with things like living wages We'd have less homelessness. We'd have yeah. more healthcare coverage. Then when we're there, we'll have more time to discuss what we do about the problems that that better situation creates. This is exactly the but sometimes that I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. Because but sometimes unions fail in this corner case. Well, when we get to that corner case, we'll come up with a solution. I don't know what the strap-on heater for this solution is to melt the snow of this person's shittiness away. But we can come up with one. Well, as a society, we're very smart. We can figure this out. Nitpicking at your your phrasing, the people that have these anecdotes are are uh, they're they're suffering the problem now. But but they're you're absolutely right. That's Those... secondary to just the benefits from everything. Yeah, and the the amount of people suffering from these other problems is both much bigger, and the problems are much larger. Yes, the problems from not having unions is many thousands or tens of thousands of more people are homeless than should be. Millions of Americans are drastically underpaid. People are dying. This Brittany Harrison woman might die because she tried to organize a union just she wanted fair pay for the people she worked with and that's going to get her killed so and can weigh that to suffering a a shitty co-worker like yeah like honestly quit your bitching is what it comes down to i'm i don't want to say it that callously i'm acknowledging that's a real problem well yeah it is but yeah it's it, it is we can't solve that problem until we've solved the much more severe problems because that will free up a lot of resources. As just as a societal thing, we can't solve everyone's degree being delayed until we have, and we don't have to have it perfectly solved, but we need to largely have these other basic equality problems solved because we need more people to deal with things to build these efficient systems. Whatever this woman was doing with this paperwork, we can probably just obviate her position by replacing it with a piece of software. Probably. But if half our fucking software developers are poor and homeless because they can't get good jobs because they're replaced every six months by whatever contracting bullshit is out there at the moment, well, we're not going to get that. And same with police unions. If we had more unions, we could probably have more people negotiating for the people on behalf of uh, the victims of police brutality. They would certainly have more resources to pursue more court cases. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not saying that's some magical ideal solution. Wherever we're going, we'll have new problems. It's just these other problems are so big, we have to solve them. We have to solve wealth inequality in a fundamental way. And once we solve that, maybe the new problems that we have look totally different. But they certainly won't be worse than the problems we have. Yeah, it's difficult to imagine problems worse than people literally dying, literally being homeless. Unless the problems result in more death, more homeless. But like, from all the unionization we've seen so far, that's just not the case. We have no reason to think that it's going to go there. What if uh, What if they make a homeless union? They're going to fight for structural homelessness. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just... 
was being contrary. No, I there's no evidence that indicates that that would happen. There are I mean, unintended consequences and knock-on effects are a real thing. Yeah. But again, if we do somehow discover that unions are that much worse, we will have passed through a better place, and then we can pass rules that limit the unions at that point. So if we learn that having 80% of our workforce unionized is somehow terrible economically, fine. We'll pass laws or something that cap that somewhere. Whatever. We'll find a solution then. We can't solve the problems we don't have right now. And we'll be changing the environment so much, getting to that new place, maybe this problem won't exist. Maybe just having better regulation, better oversight of the unions will make these people who are protected by unions go away. I don't know. Maybe the problem will get 10 times worse. But certainly that'll be better than having 27 million Americans without health care because they can't get proper full-time employment. Just wanted to bring up the... The naysaying that we will get? Well, naysaying that I've already gotten, but yeah. Well, did a listener bring that to your attention? Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad we're getting more feedback from people. But sounds like you're just getting feedback to argue with people. Eh. I'm getting people who just want to swap shout-outs and you're getting arguments. Well, it's not really arguments. They're just like, yeah, you guys make good points, but you're not considering this viewpoint. Like, well, like we, yeah, we did miss like one on the gun episode. Remember that? Uh, we had the one listener who came back to us who's like, uh, but I, I need to shoot feral hogs, and I'm like, is this a fucking meme? <laughs> I'm like, no, seriously. Sometimes I have thirty to fifty feral hogs I gotta shoot. I'm like, you know what? Okay, I guess guns are the right tool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, part of the problem with uh, things like this union discussion is it's not that didn't think of it. It's that, you know, we have finite time. And if we try to take the leave no stone unturned tactic to it, then suddenly our one to two hour long episodes become six to 12 hour long episodes. So, I mean, yeah, focus on the big things. We could easily have a podcast, not a podcast episode, a whole podcast series on nothing but the pros and cons of unions. It is a very nuanced and in-depth topic. Yeah. So we tend to start out just focusing on the big obvious details. And then when we come back and revisit topics like now, we will cover some of the more nuanced details. And that's just that's how we do. It's not that we don't really consider it. It's just how we've decided to format the show. Yeah. All right. So I guess uh, thank you all for listening. Thanks for listening. Do you do that on purpose? Yeah. Super goofy happiness. <laughs> Only when we start recording do I realize how moist my mouth is. Moist. 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 Sorry. Thanks to Keldar for video and graphics work. And thanks to AlphaWolf294 for transcription. Thanks to all of our Patreon supporters. Our supporters at the Evidence Investigator level or higher include Jared, Ducktape, Keldar, Stephen Larrabee, and Kaiju Helena. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to like, subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. If you aren't sure where to do that, you can read the show notes, read the transcripts, and listen online at disevidentia.com. Support us financially at patreon.com slash disevidentia. Participate in our subreddit, r slash disevidentia. Tweet at us at disevidentia, chat on our Discord server, or watch us on YouTube, or email us at contact at disevidentia.com. Copyright 2021, Blacktop Studios, Inc. Intro music was slow by Pitex, used with permission. I suspect lots of streamers are talking at a normal voice like I am, which is loud for a normal voice, but it's not obnoxious. Yeah, maybe, well, I mean, definitely some of them, but I can think of a few that that's not the case for. You can also just have a really quiet environment and totally crank the gain. I suppose. But I just mean you see these wavy lines here? No, the roll of paper towels is in my way. Yes, I see them. The microphone picked up me just batting it aside. But you can see how when I talk quiet, there's a little bit. Yep. When I talk in the announcer voice, I'm getting real waves. And this is on 2x Zoom. 
This is ready for people to be talking right up to the limit, which I'm not comfortable with because I want to have some dynamic range. Dynamic range is good. But you don't have any. You're just fucking quiet. I just tried to be loud there, and my lines are nowhere near yours. Yeah, and your gain is much fucking higher. Yeah, I... Maybe not much higher. Your gain's like 10% higher than mine. Okay, well, fine. I mean, I can I can max your gain, but then we start getting background like, noise. Yeah, artifacts and bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Been there. <sighs> How close are you to the mic? Like, my nose is slightly pressing in the pop filter. Yeah, that's how we should be doing it with our setup. Yes. <sighs> okay. You just need to practice being, being loud. loud. Yeah, you can be loud without being panicked. Can I? Can I? Most humans can. So maybe. We have established your hologram, haven't we? Uh, you've established, question mark? I've asserted your hologram. There we go. I don't know if we've verified this in any way. I've never found your hollow emitter. I presume you treat it much like a lich would treat their phylactery and kept it hidden. That's just the responsible way to go. So you admit it. You're a lich. Holographic lich? A hollow lich. <laughs> you keep your holographic emitter phylactery hidden away, and anytime anyone kills you, your projection just reappears? I mean, yeah. If you destroy the projection but not the emitter, that logic flows. So every time we fight you, nothing happens. And you can't really hurt us either because you're just made of light. But UV light does give us cancer, so after 30 years, you win by default. Yay! <laughs> I'm a winner! I don't see where the yay put you. There it is, it put you a minus 15. <laughs> this is some bullshit. Uh, you ready to start doing some recording?